And here he is, the Birdman himself, Al Bat. Hey, Al, how's it going? What a what a delightful day! Oh, Boy, it is yes. just. Uh, I've been eating uh, some tomatoes from the garden, and they've been uh, just extra special. So I I got to get them as soon as I can because I they taste so good this year. I think the chipmunks will really love that tomato juice. So I got to beat them <laughs> to it. And eating some sweet corn, I had some bicolor. Oh gosh, there was another part of that name, and then I. Yesterday I had some sweetness, and I also have some vitality, and boy, they're all just really, really good. That last pile of rain we got seemed to really fill them out, and they are delicious, as uh, they pretty much always are. Uh, My wife and I were sitting at a place having a bite to eat, and she mentioned something about uh, the, the coffee wasn't, real good and uh, then the uh, tension had turned to me and when I'd ever complained about food and (laughs) neither one of us could come up with any time that I'd ever complained about any food anywhere and I think the only time I've ever complained is when I've made it myself and then I only complain to myself Uh, I only have me to blame how how can you have bad coffee is my question isn't it just you mix stuff with water and then you got coffee so how can it be bad I don't drink coffee so I mean to me it's all bad but I'm just curious yeah I agree with you I don't drink it either but I I think it was just uh, when they say bad I think coffee drinkers it's usually just because it's uh, old maybe oh Okay. They're they're getting the dregs. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure she's explained it to me, but not being a coffee drinker, it just kind of <laughs> went over your head. Over my head. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to thank everybody. They're called the Turtles, and it's a group, uh, a friends of a park group, and at Merrick State Park near Fountain City, Wisconsin who allowed me to come and uh, visit with them. Boy, they had an amazing large group of folks and uh, was we filled up the kind of pavilion area and then people were seated all around it in a big kind of circle and and of course it rained so everybody had to kind of move around but uh, they were good park people so they had uh, the right clothing they came back with rain gear and umbrellas and it was fun being in that group I also want to thank Fran Thierkoff of Jamul. Oh, I probably got that. J-A-M-U-L, California, and I appreciate her kind letter. I've been captivated by ditches. Uh, they're filled with interesting things, and one of them, if you look, folks, if you're driving around today, look at the white umbles. Umbles like, oh, I think of an umbrella of the Queen Anne's Lace, which a lot of people call wild carrot or bird's nest, and they look like giant snowflakes of summer. Hmm. And I just, uh, I enjoy seeing them. I know not everybody likes having uh, them growing in their yard and things because they they can be aggressive. Uh, Dragonflies whiz by. Uh, These insects have a corral filled with nicknames, including Snake Doctor, Devil's Darning Needle, and Mosquito Hawk. And I was working at a county fair, and I'm watching these guys fly by, and I was sitting near a fountain dispensing cool water on a hot day, and I bet a lot of you are familiar with these fair fountains. 
Uh, it had four bubblers coming from a straight pipe, and then it had a trough below it that uh, recycled the water. It, you know, free water. Oh, man, we, that's my favorite thing at the fair, I think, is that free water. It's always nice and cool. But this one, there were two crows drinking the bubbling water. And they were uh, just perched there, and they were drinking. One crow was an adult, and the other one wasn't. And after a bit, the adult crow flew away, and the young one just it just uh, perched there and drank every so often and looked at me like, what are you up to? And uh, finally it flew up into a tree and kind of preened a little bit. But it was, uh, it was a neat little uh, bit of nature. So you talk there about preening, you know, don't they preen to, to get clean when birds do that? Uh, because we were just watching birds do dust baths. And, and I was thinking, yeah. like, why do they wash in the dust when they could wash in the water? And my, my son was explaining to me about their feathers and everything. So I was just curious because you see some bat birds, they will go in a bird bath and splash around and others just roll in the dust. So does it matter? Is there a reason or do some do it in the dust and some in the water or do they have preferences? <laughs> Yeah, I guess some do in in one and some do in the other. I think of chickens, they will get out and take dust baths because of the abrasive quality of the dust particles that will help remove not only dirt, but maybe parasites and things like that. And it keeps their feathers in good shape because if you're a bird, it's hard to be healthy if you have bad feathers. And if you're a songbird, it age, your ability to fly. So, you know, it might make the difference in you escaping a predator, just having your feathers in good shape. And uh, yeah, as a little kid, I always, I couldn't understand why I had to take baths all the time when (laughs) I could just go out and take a dust bath. That seemed to make perfect sense to me. And uh, it's, I, I, I sat in a soddy, a sod house not too long ago. And I think those sod sod bricks are like 50 pounds or so. And it's like a bricklayer putting those things up, only they're really dirty. I I worked in a sod field one summer carrying sod from the field, or, oh, I can't remember what kind of tractor or apparatus with a trailer on that we'd drag them up to the truck. And then they hired us kids to pick up those 50-pound bricks and put them in the truck. Oof, that's hard work. And boy, did you get dirty. You were just covered with dirt. And we got paid minimum wage, but he took us into McGuire's every day for lunch. And McGuire's had a smorgasbord, and it was all you could eat. And the poor guy that ran that place when they brought all those kids had been working in a sod field all day. Uh, he was in the red for the rest of that week just from feeding us, I'm sure. But, yeah, the, uh, I didn't see any birds taking baths out in the sod field, although there <laughs> probably were some there. But uh, I, uh, I stick to water now, so it just <laughs> seems to work much better. There were a lot of flies out again yesterday. You get in the shade, and then there were flies that wanted to bite me in the ankles because my ankles are prime ribbed to, like, stable flies. There's uh, Erica McAllister. She's the um, curator, and, oh, if I'm going to remember her title, she's a curator of diptera, and uh, D-I-P-T-E-R-A, which are flies. 
mm-hmm. at the Museum of Natural History in London, and I read something where she said there's an estimated 17 million flies per person. Uh, yeah, uh, who counted those? I just <laughs> it, it, it's probably true, but it that just seems overwhelming. Uh, a caller sent a uh, called first and then sent a photo asking if a lovely beetle was a Japanese beetle. Uh, you know, the size of Japanese beetles' abdomen are adorned with five patches of white hairs, and the tip has two more patches of white hairs. The interesting thing about beetles, we think nothing really gets after them. There are some birds that will eat them. Uh, robber flies and assassin bugs are insects that prey on Japanese beetles. Japanese beetles, in turn, feed on about 300 species of plants, mm-hmm. uh, devouring leaves, flowers, and fruit. But the one it, this metallic-hued beetle in the photo was a dogbane leaf beetle, which oh. has a green head and copper, gold, and emerald wing cases. It's green legs. It has these cool green legs that have a metallic gleam, and it has a longer antennae than a Japanese beetle would. Uh, dogbane leaf beetles, they mate, feed, and grow on dogbane plants. They just, I think they're gorgeous beetles and you know they cause me no worry whatsoever i can go out and look at them they're feeding on dog bane i have a lot of dog bane around and don't use it for anything so uh, i they're just really neat beetles so i just let them go and i enjoy looking at them now you brought up japanese beetles i was worried because we had a bunch coming in but i have not seen as many as i have in the past where they've covered everything so do they sort of go in cycles like other insects where they've got uh, uh, lots of them and then suddenly their cycles not as many or something because i just have not i mean i have some but or they just aren't here in their full force yet because i'm just surprised at how much fewer there are than than in the past yeah, and I, uh, insects in general certainly can be cyclical, but I notice it most in new introductions to an area. I remember when we got multi multicolored Asian lady beetles for the first times when they came in, and oh my attic that was insulation in my attic where multicolored <laughs> Asian lady beetles they were just everywhere. And, you know, they're still out there, but not like they were then. That was just uh, amazing. And I hear that from a lot of people that uh, were in areas that were impacted by Japanese beetles before we were, saying, well, it'll be terrible. After a while, it'll still be terrible, but it'll be less terrible. Their numbers will just uh, drop substantially. So. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people who are still out there with their bucket of uh, soapy water, and every day they go out and just throw them in there. And I think some of them uh, get kind of fiendish pleasure out of doing that, (laughs) getting rid of something they don't care so much for. Well, I still have the bucket out there because there are some, but nothing like I've had in the past where I just took them off by the handfuls. So I'm just wondering what the deal is. My latest uh, venture is getting voles. I have, when I've been watering things, I notice that I must, the water must chase them and I'll see them running by me and go, "Uh uh-oh. So I've been putting traps out 
And normally I wouldn't notice their little trails, except for when I was watering, I could see where they go. And if you look close enough, you see, oh, there is like a little trail in through, yep. through the mulch or whatever. So I put the, the traps directly on their trails and snap, snap, snap. Within within 15 minutes, I had some. So that's my latest venture is what I do is I go out and I get rid of them and it, it's immediate death. So I know they're not suffering. Trust me, I can, can tell. And then I just bury them in a hole and, and put some more traps out. And then pretty much they're gone for a while and maybe they'll come back later. So it's sort of, um, I guess, getting rid of a bunch of them so they don't wreck everything. Are you going to make a coat out of their felt? <laughs> They, they do have really very, very, very soft, soft fur. And I mean, it's beautiful. But, you know, I think it would just be too much work with how small they are, Al. I think uh, they're going to be in a hole <laughs> and make mul- they're going to make they're going to make compost. <laughs> I was hoping you would. So I, I'd learn how many oh, bowls it, it takes, takes to make a coat. <laughs> but their fur is it is it's beautiful fur. I watched a greater roadrunner in Texas. Meep, meep. Yeah. Only he didn't go beep, beep or meep, meep. But he was eating, I don't know what they were, if they were voles or mice or shrews, because they couldn't get close enough to see. But he was chasing them down and eating them. And it was a male, so he'd eat something, and then he'd make kind of a cooing sound. Uh, I know the folks where I was at, they were calling them chaparral birds, and they are opportunistic predators, so they feed upon snakes, lizards, scorpions, snails, spiders, insects, bats, uh, birds, and rodents. So they were eating, maybe those were voles they were eating, but boy, he was eating them with great gusto. I... I spoke, as I mentioned, at the Merrick State Park, and that's along the backwaters of the Mississippi River, again, near Fountain City, Wisconsin. And when I was speaking, a brown thresher flew in, and they are a one-bird band. And uh, joined with me. Uh, it talked a little bit, and it's nicknamed Mavis. You get down south, a lot of people call it Mavis. Hmm. Mavis was uh, mentioned in Shakespeare and maybe Shop. Chaucer, too, I'm not sure, but I know it was in Shakespeare. Only when Shakespeare spoke of Mavis, which came from a French word, he was speaking of the song thrush in uh, in the U.K. And when they people from that area settled here, they saw the brown thrasher, and they called it the Mavis. So I called this one the Mavis, and it flew away. So apparently it didn't <laughs> respond to that name. Um uh, Karen, you sent me something from Julie Dahl of Hennepin County. She said, rug weavers uh, following traditional, uh, in some Mexico methods, they use crushed beetles to make beautiful, vivid dyes. And wondered what color the Japanese beetles would be. So, yeah, I would think, I bet they're really beautiful. Well, do you think because, I mean, if, if you crush them up, I know that they have the beautiful metallic, uh, the, the covering, but I bet it's not metallic green that you get out of them. I bet it's something dingy brown. That's my thought. Yeah, it uh, sounds like people are usually surprised at what colors come out of that. And if I remember right, she was talking about the Oaxaca area in Mexico oh. that use these crushed beetles. Uh, Denny Tustis, an old friend of it from Albert Lee, 
said he had no Baltimore Orioles this summer. He didn't know. He always asks if I have them, and I say I do, and then he, oh, he moans a bit because he doesn't have any. So I suggested he do like I do, uh, dress like the Oriole bird, who is a mascot of the Baltimore Orioles MLB team, and just stand at the end of his driveway for a couple weeks to see if that helps, and we'll see if he does that or not. And Denny said he and his wife saw one owl chasing another owl in his July yard, and he wondered what was going on. Great horned owls begin nesting in January or February, and they lay their eggs again in abandoned nests of squirrels, hawks, or crows, or maybe in a hollow tree. And they lay one to five eggs that hatch in 30 to 37 days. And then the young owls leave the nest in six to nine weeks. The juveniles are dependent on their parents through the summer and sometimes don't leave their parents' territory until they're forced to do so in late fall. Barred owls, another big owl, they begin nesting in March and they lay two or three eggs and they hatch in 28 to 33 days. Young barred owls leave the nest four to five weeks after hatching. And at about eight weeks old, they begin to fly, but they don't master flight until they're about 12 weeks old. So the young owls stay with their parents, young barred owls, until the end of summer or sometimes later before taking off on their own. And the barred owl parents feed their chicks for our owlets for up to four to five months of age at which point the young start dispersing. So, Denny, I think what you saw was likely a young owl if it has a feather tough plumicorns, that's a great horned owl. If it has kind of a rounded head, that's a barred owl. But it's going to be a young owl hoping to be fed by its parent and can't understand why it's not giving the getting the constant care from its parent like it deserves. And it's just uh, following around, and they will scream at their parent sometimes, feed me, because... <coughs> because I'm starving to death. So uh, Kent Spellman of Albert Lee said, I see monarch butterflies are on the endangered list. And Tim Scott said, uh, when I was a boy collecting butterflies in the 50s, butterflies were as thick as Minnesota mosquitoes. Sixty years later, butterflies are not common anymore. What we've done to this planet. Uh, yeah, The uh, endangered species list that's been in the news is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, another acronym. It's a group headquartered in Switzerland that tracks species and extinctions, and they added the monarch butterfly to its red list of threatened species. Uh, This is not from the federal government of the United States. They have a list, endangered species list, and that is tied in with the Endangered Species Act here. So it's still a a terrible thing, I guess. I hope it becomes a good thing and helps them come back and do well. But it's a different list than the one we typically refer to. Say, Al, I've got a, a, an email here for, or a text for you from a listener in Janesville, Jeff in Janesville. And he says, I have noticed a lot of baby frogs in the last week. 
They come out of the reeds along the lake in the morning to get some sun on Lake Elysian Park in Janesville. That's from Jeff in Janesville. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Uh, I like Lake Elysian. Um, I've uh, spent a lot of time there. I used to play ba- or softball there, right, along the the friendly shores of Lake Elysian in uh, Janesville at the park there, in, uh, Sportsman's Park, I believe the name was in. I don't know if it's still named that, but uh, thanks, Jeff. Always great to hear from you. I uh, Three questions from the frivolity department. <laughs> Someone asked, uh, these aren't serious uh, answers, so be aware. What is the purpose of raccoons, someone asked. <laughs> and uh, I guess that's true. And I, it's, You know, it's hard to find purpose for everything because we, uh, we can look in a mirror once in a while. People probably say, what in the world am I doing here? Uh, it's not for us to decide, I guess, always. Uh, for raccoons, what's their purpose? The animals let us know when the sweet corn is ripe, and I think that's a, quite a service. When they're out there eating sweet corn, you know it's ripe. Another listener said, I saw a turn being shadowed by another turn. Whatever one did, the other did likewise. What were they doing? Uh, one was a turn, and the other was an intern gaining valuable work experience. <laughs> so uh, most of us have been interns of one kind or another. And why do vultures fly in circles? Uh, they're buffering and uh, probably rerouting at the same time. So that's what they're up to. Uh, a serious answer here. What bird is the water witch? Uh, pied-billed grebes, they don't dive as deeply as loons, maybe 20 feet or less, and they'll be down there for about 30 seconds. But if you watch them and they go underwater and you look to see where they pop up with, 30 seconds is like an eternity. And an alarmed grebe dives swiftly, and it may swim underwater until reaching plants in shallow water where it remains partially submerged, is submerged except for its eyes and bill. So we're looking everywhere for this, and all there is is this tiny little head in the, in the vegetation somewhere, so it's, we can't find it. And it'll stay there until danger passes. And this impressive disappearing act is responsible for the bird's nickname, Water Witch. Uh, the pied-billed and other grebes share another nickname, emphasizing their diving skills, and that is hell diver. So, water witch or hell diver, uh, they're they're cute little duck-like birds. I really like pied-billed grebes, and it's they don't have any. You know, the, there's a word piebald that we refer to deer and things that have like white spots. And that derives from a combination, as you might figure out, pie, and that comes from magpie, like the bird, and bald, meaning white patch. So the reference is to the black and white plumage of the magpie, of which we have some in Minnesota. Hmm. I was up uh, by Bagley, Minnesota and saw a lot of them up around there. But but here we don't see them. Uh, They're just, 
They're a corvid, so they're like a cousin to the crows and blue jays, so they have a lot of that rascally personality, and um, they're noisy, but I, I really like them. I uh, do, uh, oh gosh, I can read this. It's my writing, so it's nobody <laughs> else's writing. Uh, why are there fewer red-headed woodpeckers than there used to be? You know, years ago I took a class in, um, it wasn't Greg's shorthand, but it was alphabetical shorthand, and I took that course, so I use shorthand in what I write. The problem is I can't always read what that is, and I say, I wonder what that word means, but this, why are there fewer red-headed woodpeckers than there used to be? According to the North American Breeding Bird Survey, this omnivorous birds population declined by 54% from 1966 to, I believe it was 2019. 54%. Some studies say starlings have displaced the cavity-nesting woodpeckers from their nest sites, other studies say hogwash. They disagree with that. But they all agree that the lack of dead trees has been hard on them. And many are hit by cars while the birds are fly catching. So they're different than a lot of woodpeckers. They fly catch. And the Minnesota DNR has designated the bird as a species of greatest concern need. And I will say while I was doing breeding bird surveys, I saw a lot of them this year. I mean, there weren't so many. I had to fight them off to keep them out of the car. But I saw the largest number I'd seen for many, 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 many years. So that is, that um, gives me hope. I just think they're such beautiful birds. Uh, how long do hummingbirds live? Well, we have the ruby-throated hummingbird here. Uh, most of them, sadly, die in their first year. But when they've survived a year... Their lifespan, oh, three to five years, probably. They're such neat little birds. I watched one on a perch here, and they, uh, you know, they have these really short legs, and that prevents them from walking or hopping, and the best they can do is just shuffle along, and that's what this little guy was doing on a, when he landed on a perch on the feeder. He was just shuffling a little bit from one of the vents that he was drinking from to the other one. But what cute little birds. And it, it, they are so feisty and so small. And again, they give us all hope, I guess. If a hummingbird can do all this stuff, why can't we? Uh, what preys upon the monarch butterfly caterpillars found on milkweeds? What doesn't? Uh, we have tacketed flies, fine soldier bugs, spiders, wasps. Even ants on occasion. There are over 100 species of milkweeds in North America. And monarch use probably about 30 of those species as hosts for their caterpillars. And the estimates are 90% of monarch butterflies that winter in Mexico have fed on one species. And I'll bet you can all guess what that is. It's the common milkweed. And they feed on that as caterpillars. And the good thing about common milkweed is I think pretty much everybody can grow them. They're, uh, they're tough. Uh, they're beautiful. I love the smell. 
So I think everybody can grow them, and you're, you know, you're doing, uh, you're doing uh, some caterpillars a favor anyway. Are you changing the the world? Yeah, in a little way. You bet you are. So I think that is the last question. If I can read my writing, I, <laughs> I don't show my notes to anybody because they say, "What language is that in? What are you writing there?" So I want to thank everybody for sitting on the front porch with us. It's a beautiful day. Gosh, if you like walking, this would be a great day to get out there and walk around and. Uh, I was so used to walking on sunny days that when clouds went over and my shadow disappeared, I thought I'd gone home. So it's nice on these days when you you don't have to hunt for the shade. There's a little bit out there. You know, I'd been on a Springs Roads and was staying in a, a hotel. It was a nice hotel, nothing exceptional, but nothing bad. It's just right up my alley. And across the street were stores of pretty much every kind. Whatever you needed, you could have got across the street. And I wanted to get a large bottle of iced tea to put in my room's refrigerator. And I decided to walk to the store, and I wondered aloud, hey, I talk to myself. You know, sometimes I have nobody else to talk to. I talk to myself. So I said, but which store should I go to? A chickadee whistled. <whistles> high V said high V. I went to the high V and got a big bottle of iced tea. The black cap chickadee song is a simple two note whistled Phoebe, but sometimes it's high V. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Everyone, have your greatest day ever. Thanks, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.